Last Monday in April, people. April 25th, Monday, 1 p.m., 30 minutes on the clock from Market Call. Guy Adami here, joined by Dan Nathan. And you know what? Carter's going to join us at the top of the hour. That's how important today is. Today's episode brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And our friends at Open Exchange, because they still manage the virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. We're bringing Carter in at the top, Dan, because the last few trading days have been epic. Yeah, they have, Guy. You've been, I think you were saying it a bunch last week on Market Call. You said, these are going to be days that we bookmark when we look back, right, at what's going on in the market for 2022. Let's bring Carter in. How are you, Carter? I'm good. Well, let's see. There's a lot of red. Sometimes when everything is acting the same way, it means something. And that's exactly what we've got here. We have, uh, we have stocks going down. We have bonds yeah. going down. We have commodities going down. And the question is, is the, is the stress over? By all accounts, no. You know, and I'll, I'll just add this real quick. I mean, yes, we have everything going down, but these are the types of days we see those violent counter-trend rallies, especially on a day that we finally saw the VIX get above 30. And you know, what winds up happening, people, is with people that are short volatility, Dan and Carter can speak to this. They did a show, Carter did it, still does it. Dan did it for years called Option Action. You have something called negative gamma, where the lower things go, the more you have to sell, and the higher things go subsequently the more you have to buy. And this is one of those markets where people find themselves, Dan, chasing yeah. their collective tails. So, guys, do you remember on April 1st, we were doing market call and, you know, the Major League Baseball season was starting. I think it was opening day. And we had a bunch of stats. You were like kind of saying how many pennants the, the Yankees, your Yankees had won and how many World Series and everything like that. One of the stats we also read on that day was that 15 of the last 16 Aprils have been higher in the stock market. You remember that? And look where we are right now. And it's interesting. Now, obviously, we've had you know acceleration of the downside over the last few trading days and we know that there's only a few trading days left in the month and one month does not make a year by any means you know but we have you know month to date the S&P is down six and a half percent and the NASDAQ okay is down 10 percent to have that sort of move Carter talk to me a little bit what does that mean to you where all this stuff happens all at once you know and we have you know this kind of sector breakdown month to date and then the daily change here too I think this is kind of interesting if you look at just kind of how the acceleration in tech has kind of taken over the market here give us your thoughts and 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 how how defensive that sort of order is right yeah of course there you see staples and, and utilities REITs, healthcare. I mean, those are the four most ultimate in terms of defense. Now, the key is that they're down as well. And one of the things that the market has been able to pull off for several years is almost a perpetual motion machine. When anybody falters on the team, in comes the new crew to hold the thing up, right? When tech's forward, then energy's working, and all of a sudden financials are working, and now we've got staples and utilities working. At some point, though, it's enough, right? In the sense that the market, well, let's take this, the most important aggregate of all, it's the best performing index since its inception of any index up 13 years ago is the NASDAQ 100 total return. Guess what? That's not going to happen this year. All records or streaks are meant to be broken. It's going to be broken this year. The things that are most in trouble are the things that are most loved. 
Yeah. But one thing I would say, you know, Guy, I'd love to your take on this. You know, when interest rates started going up in the beginning of 2021, a lot of those NASDAQ stocks were really hard hit, much more relative to than a lot of these other sort of sectors in a way. And they kind of got back on, you know, on the horse, if you will. But when you look at this 10-year yield, and you've been all over this, okay, you were calling for this epic move. And we had it, man. You know, when it was at, you know, a half a percent, you said it's going to go to one and a half. When it was at one and a half, you said it was easily going to go to two and then possibly skip to three. We almost got to three in the 10-year, okay? And so is now the tech underperformance over the last week when we've had, you know, Fed Chair Powell say they're going to hit this thing kind of hard up front here as they're about to raise 50 basis points in the first week of May, is that it? Was that like kind of ringing the bell a little bit? Because we never got back to that kind of three and a quarter level in the 10 year. And again, I'm not saying it's done. I'm just curious your take is you get, you've been all over the rally over the last year and a half. Right? It's interesting. I'll say this about yields. And Carter had a great chart showing how the levels were at basically at the top of a very long term downtrend line in yields. Yeah. In other words, yields have gone higher to lower little over the last 30 or so years. And we're right up butting against that. What I'll say is this. If this market solve continues like I believe that it will, I do think you'll see a flight to quality in the form of bonds, which makes yields go lower. So if you're asking me if I think the move to the upside in yields is over for the time being, I say yes. Then subsequently, the next question is, does that mean it's the green light for some of these high valuation tech names? And I don't know if it's necessarily a green light, but I do think they can now tread water for a while you know, sideways to slightly higher. That's going to be the rub though, right? What happens to those names if in fact yields go lower? And we're going to find, I think we're going to find out. I mean, there's so many things about it, right? But the question is, equities is an asset class. Well, there are people who have to buy. It's a rare circumstance. Your portfolio manager, you cannot hold cash. You're, you're pegged to a certain index or sub-industry group and you must limit your capital. But most individuals don't have that issue. And so the question is, is this a time to be postponing all or most all new buying? And I, I think that's the final and salient. Yeah, well, we're going to, I mean, listen, you know, we have now both the S&P and the NASDAQ back to being down double digits. I mean, the, the S&P is down 11% of the year. The NASDAQ is down 18% of the year. And, you know, we're, we're getting back to this kind of period where, you know, investors are starting to contemplate how much lower can we go for how much longer? And I think this is one thing that, you know, we've all spent a lot of time talking about. We remember in the post-dot-com crisis, that was a protracted bear market. You know, the, the market topped out in what, March of 2000, didn't bottom until the fall of 02. And then, you know, the market topped out again in the financial crisis in November of 07, didn't bottom until March of 09. Here we are now. We're not even down 20%, right? And the NASDAQ's down 20% from its highs. And if you want to call a bear market, it's only been four months, you know, or five months or so. And, you know, I think a lot of investors who are new to the markets over the last, let's call it, few years or so, they looked at the worst health crisis, the potential for the worst, you know, financial crisis the world's ever seen at the same time. Stock market here in the U.S. sold out. 35% and what, within five or six months, Carter, it was making new all-time highs. Give us your sense on where the S&P is because it has really caught a lot of steam to the downside since Jerome Powell was speaking last week on the Hill. That's right. And, and it's the, the heretofore winners. So we know that at the lows of one month ago, the S&P was down 14.2, 14.3, the NASDAQ 100 down 22. And so the real question is, are we going to undercut those prior lows? That's the bet. We're seeing it in, in, at the individual stock level from Google to Microsoft. We're seeing it, meaning 
strong stocks that have rolled. We're seeing it in weak stocks that are getting weaker, a Square or a PayPal. And, and then there's the bifurcation, which we'll talk about. Let's look at a chart of the S&P and just one thing to consider. Not all gaps are filled. It's not some sort of gospel and it must happen, but there is a gap in the past. There's only one below in the past 12 months, and it's at 4020. That's another four to 5% from here. We could do that in an hour if you get any trouble out of Microsoft, Apple, or Google. Meaning, do we have to get a drop in gap the way we saw on Facebook uh, when it reported earnings uh, or, or Netflix? No, but that's the risk. Yeah, Guy Adami, talk to me here because you've had the kind of nice round number of 4,000 on your target in the near term. That gets you right back to Carter's unfilled gap. One of the things that I think is really interesting, though, when you think about this right now, okay, so that would take you from 4,800 to 4,000. What, what on a percentage basis is that, Guy? That's about 20-ish percent. If look my, at you. If my math is right. Look at you. But one of the things that really strikes me is that when you look at a really important sector, and it's not that it's such a huge component of the S&P 500. Look at this KBW bank index, okay? When you look at the performance of this down 24% or so guy, you got to say to yourself, that's telling you something with the S&P only down 11% at the moment. So I just got to think when I think about all of these other sectors that we spend a lot of time talking about and trying to impute, you know what I mean, kind of what it means for the broader market, the bank stocks with the KBW now were below, I guess, the high from 2010, below or approaching those highs from 2017 or so. I mean, we're at a kind of, or excuse me, 2020, we're at a kind of a, a, a crucial level for the banks. Personally, I agree with that. And, and everything comes down to JP Morgan, right? And we talked about JP Morgan. You'd been talking about it for months saying, listen, I know everybody loves JPM, but it's really no different than any of those banks, but yet it trades at a premium valuation, premium in terms of where it trades price to tangible book. It got close to two and a half times, which is just levels we hadn't seen the pre-financial crisis. Now, with $69 being tangible book, at the levels we traded down today, it's a little more reasonable, about 1.8. With that said, nothing, you know, nothing says we can't go lower. Made a 52-week low today. We're at huge support. But quite frankly, given the environment that we find ourselves in, given an HYG, the high-yield credit ETF that we talk about all the time, giving it up here around this $80 level, banks could be vulnerable in terms of there's a bit of a credit problem. So although we're at support, I think there's another leg lower. Carter, thoughts on the banks? Relative performance yeah. is, is, the, is the real issue, right? Banks and financials as a sector, you know, their, their peak going back to 2003, 2004, we're still so far below that. And, you know, there's always a one that will work or within financials, it could be an insurance stock like Travelers or American Express, but the big heavy banks, what they used to call right money center banks back a hundred years ago when Guy was born, those are not acting right. No, they're not. All right. Give us some other sense of some groups that are not acting right here, because that's the thing, you know, like we spent a lot of time talking to investors and trying to kind of demystify some of this stuff here, but like, there's a lot of stuff that's not acting right. And I know that doesn't always, there's nothing scientific about it, but I'm just curious your take. That's you, right. You're, you're you know, looking at a couple of groups. Let's take, say one second on that expression. You know, yeah. when you, when someone says, you know, the stock doesn't act well, yeah. And people right away, they react. What does that mean? You've personified the stock. What is it? Honey ache? What's wrong? But what's funny is people understand it in sports. You bring in the pitcher. He throws a few bit, but get him out. They understand it. Then he's something's wrong. He shouldn't have thrown that pitch. 
He must not be on his game. Get him out. Meaning there is this concept that a stock doesn't act well and you should take measures when it doesn't. But the market is bifurcated. We have a circumstance where you had great winners. We know what the energy has been a great winner. Metals in mining, steel. You've got great winners out of utilities. And then you've got great losers, stocks that have rolled over long ago that are getting worse and worse. Bifurcated markets, the hope is that they end this way, that the strong are telling the truth. Energy's got it right. Metals and mining have got it right. Utilities. And that the other weak ones will finally bottom and stabilize. Guess what? It's almost never been resolved that way. A classic bifurcated market, what happens is the strong actually start to crack. And what are we seeing? You're seeing Alcoa getting crushed, U.S. Steel getting crushed, energy starting to crack. You're seeing high flyers like Berkshire, and at the same time, the week getting worse as Square makes yet new lows and CRM. I've got some charts here to look at that if you want, but it's, it's a bifurcated market and it's getting resolved the way it always does. Both the strong and the weak start. Metals and mining versus SMH. I mean, this says it all. I mean, the ex, if you think about it, metals and mining have, until at least the last couple of days have been on fire. Semis have been under pressure. I mean, this the, sort of illustrates that in terms of just visually, Carter. It really does. And guess what's happening? Semis are getting worse. They rolled over a long time ago. And metals and mining starting to crack. And you can take this sort of construct, one thing juxtaposed against another, and do it. I think we've got another one, a couple. Take a look at the next iteration. This is Conoco versus Google. And you could say, well, you're kind of doing the same thing. But, but Conoco isn't metals and mining, and Google isn't semis. But it's the same concept. Google's been rolling. Google's getting worse. So weakness, yet further weakness. And the other is a heretofore strong security, Conoco, that's starting to break. So the bifurcation starts to end with both things succumbing. I think we've got another. Take a look. This is a utility versus a trucking stock. They're tracking nicely. And guess what? Exelon is, is under real pressure now. It's the largest weight in the Dow Jones utility average. Well, JB Hunt is starting to crack. Bifurcation ends with both the strong and the weak getting worse. Yeah, interesting action though today in the markets, Carter, when you think about, you know, we, we started out by saying the underperformance in the S&P 500 versus the NASDAQ, which is kind of um, unch, but I'm looking at a lot of stocks that have been really beaten up that are kind of bouncing. You know, this really feels like kind of bear market action, if you will. And I'm just curious, like when you see the sort of action with the S&P down nearly 1%, the NASDAQ basically flat, and I'm looking at dozens of stocks that have been absolutely bludgeoned, right, over the last few months or quarters or anything like that, rallying and some kind of aggressively, like a snowflake up 9%, a Roku up like almost 5%, a bunch of other crap in the, the, the kind of uh, internet space or SaaS space, you know, rallying. What does that kind of mean to you on a day where like, again, we know we're waiting for the big kahunas this week on earnings? Right. I mean, those are the, those are the most important. And, and I would just say that if there's real trouble in those, it's going to drive the rest of it down. But you always have a dollar, a person. Could be me, could be you, could be anyone who's saying, let me take a shot. Something's overdone. And so a rally in a snowflake, that kind of thing, it happens, but it, it's not important in and of itself. And there's always money going in and out. What is important is the behavior of the individual constituents and how they all fit together as a puzzle. And yeah. the most important thing there is look at Walmart, look at Coke, things that are highly safe. Money is afraid. And every once in a while, I'll take a bet on a snowflake. But there's fear out there and you can feel it. And the question is, is that contrary? I don't think so. I think this time it's just going to get worse. Hey, everybody tries to bring something to the table, Dan. You brought a couple names, two names that I've loved that are getting bludgeoned today. 
Yeah, no, I, well, well, I brought them because hey, you've been on the you've been on the right side of these names for a while. I know coming into the year, I mean, you had been pounding the table on U.S. Steel for the better part of the fall and had that massive, massive breakout. And the same thing with Deer. And you know, you were making valuation cases, you're making supply and demand cases, you're making a lot of great cases. This sort of price action, again, what are we trying to do here? We're trying to decode a little bit because of all this bifurcated action here. I mean, these are some big moves, Guy. And I'm just curious for somebody who's liked both of these names, the U.S. Steel looks like it's bound to pull back to that breakout level. And then as far as the other one with Deer, it's below that breakout level. Does it find support at that 150-day? Carter's 150-day moving average. Yeah, let's start with the U.S. Steel. Let's start with the U.S. Steel first if we can sort of toggle back because this is one where you've had so many false breakouts only to be basically disappointed with the price action. Unfortunately, it feels like this is where we are now. You mentioned the, I want to say, 150-day moving average that Carter looks at. This is what the line is, the yellow line still sloping higher. It feels as though we got a bullseye in that. That probably comes in around 25 bucks or thereabouts. In terms of John Deere, the case that I've made for Deere and company has been on valuation. Go to the next chart and you can see I mean, this has been lower left to upper right for quite some time, and it's still traded at a very reasonable valuation. What I think is going on, and obviously I don't know anything, but I think there's a couple things. I think people are trying to take money off the table and things they've had huge winners in. Deer sort of checks that box. And the other thing, people might be concerned about growth going forward, giving everything that's going on in China, and given the fact that commodities are pulling back. So maybe that's the other thing. It's enough to knock the you-know-what out of the stock, but we have found now support-ish yeah. Coming right in that 150-day moving average. So we'll see. They report earnings, I want to say, next week. I'll look. So, Carter, on the scale of things that you look at, support or resistance, where, what are moving averages? Like, where do they rank? Like, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being, like, really solid. Right. So let's take the U.S. Steel, the actual support. After you break out from well-defined tops at a common level and, and go considerably higher, up 10, 12, 15, 20%, which is what it did, if you fall back to the level from which the breakout occurred, you're at a level of support. Why? Yeah. Well, what does that mean, support? It means this. There are people who were going to buy just before it broke out who missed it. And then they are watching as it goes higher and higher, mad with their nose pressed <laughs> up against the glass, looking at the party. Oh, I can't believe it. I almost pulled the trigger. Their memory is centered on those highs. Even as you get back to that level, they say, ah, I can get in now. Two, there are people who did buy just before the breakout who in turn sold brilliantly or dumb luck two, three weeks ago. Their memory, their happy experience started at the breakout. They're like, wait a minute, if it gets back to where we bought it before, let's do it again, rinse, repeat. And there are people who shorted, dumb luck or brilliance, just one or two weeks ago. And they start to get paid and paid. They're like, wow, this is down 15, 18, this is on 20. We should start to cover. All those things I described represent buying or potential buying. And they happen at or near the level from which the breakout occurred. You know, Carter, you may not know this, but, you know, Bo Jackson didn't want to be anybody's role model. Guy Donnie certainly does. He is a fatherly figure. He wanted just to say something. He wanted to say that getting like some stock, getting the, the snot kicked out of it. I think that's what you wanted to say, Guy. You kind of held back a little bit here. But when I look at something in the market today that's getting the snot kicked out of it, it's crude oil. And if you're a bull on the market, if you're a bull on the ability for the U.S. economy, the global economy to come back, you might say to yourself, 
that's a good thing, right? But let me ask you this. I don't see this as good for the stock market right now because it's telling me something about growth here. And I think for the stock market to come back here, we need to have a better footing on growth with a rising rate environment. And I've been saying this for a very long time, guys, okay? The only thing that I know is the last time the Fed went on that rate hiking cycle, okay? What did we see? We saw the dollar rise. Obviously, rates went up, okay? But we saw crude oil get absolutely bludgeoned in 2014-15 into 16. And at the time, whenever there was a growth scare anywhere in the world, specifically China, you know, crude just went lower. So, you know, talk to me about what this move in crude means to you today. And you've been a bull and you've been really, you've called a lot of this, a lot of this movement over the last nine months or so. No, look, I mean, there's no denying what's happened. Obviously, that, that first blow-off top we talked about, I think we all agreed that that was exactly that, a blow-off top, and we'd have a pullback. We saw that. I thought the subsequent rally, which we did get, was going to take us through that prior high. That didn't happen. Now you have to be concerned, to your point, about a lot of different things, global growth being the exact it. And is there going to be demand destruction? Because that's been a huge part of the story. Everybody wants to make it about supply, that's part of it really is a demand story because quite frankly, prior to the last month or so, we were at demand levels we hadn't seen till prior to the pandemic, which is pretty interesting. So here we are now. What do I think? I'll still say I do think there's another lake higher in crude oil, but you know what? You look at this chart and we better hold these support levels. Otherwise, you know, we probably have another 15 to 20% very quickly in the underlying commodity. Well, you know what? What we shouldn't look at the chart. We should have Carter look at the chart because you and I are just kind of like you know monkeys when it comes to uh, that stuff. Well, anyone can draw a line. <laughs> so here's the thing: it is a line, and we're breaking it, right? So, well, this is one way to draw it. Look at the next iteration. Is it also, of course, the apex or the sort of inflection point, the big moment of what you'd call a symmetrical triangle? Or, doesn't matter what you call it. It represents a well-defined series of lower highs and higher lows. And we're in the apex and we're breaking down. If you look at a, a longer term or another way to draw the lines, there's the arrow. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. But then finally, this, uh, this iteration, this is important. This is the sort of the megaphone that it was in. And that blow off lasted oh so short, didn't it? it? Basically, we're back into the formation. There's no reason we can't go to that middle, middle band. And then we also have history. We have a rhyme going on right now. And it's important to say this. And it's not about the firm or person that gets it right or wrong. It's just the history has a way of doing this. In 2008, a very prominent Wall Street firm raised their price target to $185 a barrel when it was $131.40. Crude was printing $45 a barrel within six months. And now here we are this time. It happened again. One of the top three firms in the street called for $200 a barrel when we hit $130. And we're doing the exact opposite. It's not that person's fault. It's not that individual, that firm. It's just that's what happens. You start extrapolating trends. You believe you've got the answer, and it's exactly wrong. It's fascinating. You know, people ring the bells. It happens all the time. Analysts get themselves on the wrong side of things. They acquiesce. They capitulate. And that's what happens, Carter. And that's probably what's happening in crude oil. I think to your level about inside this band, uh, Mm -hmm. that's exactly right. So what does that mean? Well, it looks like 90 and WTI is a bit of a foregone conclusion. We'll see what happens if we bounce. I'll say we don't have the chart. But I just mentioned OIH, which made a new recent high north of 310. The move from 310 down to 255 in basically two trading days is just epic. I mean, it just shows how volatile these things are. But listen, before we get out of here, we have to talk about the big tech earnings this week because I think that's what this market is trying to position itself in front of. And let's take a look. I mean, 
Alphabet and Microsoft tomorrow, Facebook on Wednesday, Amazon and Apple on Thursday. I think it really comes down to, in my opinion, Dan, two of these names. I'm going to throw Microsoft out. I'm going to throw Meta out. I'm going to throw Amazon out and say it basically comes down to Alphabet. Can it hold this support and Apple at the end of the week? Yeah, I think Apple's important and Microsoft. I mean, those are the ones that I'm focused on. We've heard a lot of commentary about weak PC demand, you know, building up over the last couple of months here, at least the commentary about that. And then obviously Apple with, you know, some of the supply chain issues with a lot of parts of China being locked down where they also make the phones, but there's also demand for those sorts of phones. I think that's kind of interesting. You look at some of those implied moves, you know, one day implied moves, that's some serious heat. If you ever had a couple of those go in the same way on the same day you know to carter's point that he made earlier we're going to have 40 20 on the s&p 500 so when you come into a theater near you and you know i don't know i, I guess the, the last thing i just say before i'd love to get carter's take on apple because at 2.6 trillion market cap and microsoft not far behind it those two are obviously two of the big the big ones right but look at this tweet from lizanne saunders from schwab here she said the super seven not so super these days with dispersion widening here. And it's interesting, Microsoft's down 18% a year, Apple's down 10%, Google's down 16.5%, Amazon's down 13.5%, Facebook is down 45%. But I gotta throw this one in here, Carter. Tesla is down a little less than 6%. And that is a trillion dollar market cap company. Curious what you're focused on into this earnings week and give us a take on Apple here. Right, so one thing we know, if you look at weeks where the really the big four, because remember, Facebook has lost a lot of value. Netflix has lost a lot of Tesla is new to the full. But Apple, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, when they report in the same week, the market has been down almost every time. Why? Who cares? I'm not in the why business. I'm in the what business. And what we know is that's a risk here. We're down so far this week. If and as there's trouble, you could literally quickly print and fill that gap at 40, 20. But Apple acts well, relative, it's a bad chart, relative to all the others. And that has to be respected. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, like 150 on the downside looks like, you know, probably the next stop here. But here, guys, you know, we're talking about bifurcation. We're talking about like kind of dispersion. And, you know, I I found this article last night from the New York Times. I was was getting ready to write something about markets. And this came up. And I remember reading this and probably in my research, not, not back in 1999 or 2000, from January 3rd, 2000, the year in the markets, 1999, extraordinary winners, and more losers. That's really interesting. And I just want to read the first two paragraphs. When they were hot, they were very hot. But when they were not, they were losers. The story of the stock market in 1999 was that stocks that flew higher than at any other time in the last decade, enough of them soared that the major market indices all closed the year at record highs. The best performing stock leaped not by hundreds, but by thousands of percentage points. Okay. Applying that standard, it was the year of the decade. And yet, all of the prosperity hid some weakness. With interest rates rising and oil prices soaring, many stocks struggled. The S&P 500 gained 19.5% during the year, but more issues in the index fell than rose. More index in the issues fell than rose. I think that's fascinating. The last point, the NASDAQ composite also leaped 85%. I mean, when you hear that, doesn't that encapsulate everything that we've seen in the last two years in a way? Carter, I'm just your market historian. I'm curious your take on that. It's, it's bifurcation again, and we've seen it at other periods, whether it's not come or think about, think about 07. So the market is peaks in September, and we start going into the financial crisis. 
the retailers and the banks had turned down way before the market peaked. They turned, and that what's happening? Oil is going higher. Bifurcation is an end phase kind of thing. It's because things are getting worse and people are clustering and hiding in fewer and fewer names, and then those crack. Carter. This has a lot of analogs to other periods, which were not good periods. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, Carter. One quick question before we get out of here. Jonathan Montgomery Carter said that individuals should not put new money to work here. Would that extend to retirement savers as well or just short to medium term traders? I think there's obviously a fundamental difference between those two groups. Can you That's right. That quickly? And, yes, exactly. And it's also your time. Frame. It's all about time frames. If you have one year to make your money or lose your money, let's let's stand aside. If you're 27 years old, just keep feeding your money into America, which is the American stock market. I believe in America. And that's for you, Jay, because you uh, said we haven't had a good Godfather reference in a while. So check that off your bingo card, sucker. See, I can play this game too. But that's it. I said 30 minutes, 30 minutes it is. This is going to be a fascinating week. We will be here for you all week. And we got a big announcement. Please to announce worthcharting.com. Check it out. Trade well, Carter. That's well, right. Carter, Check that tell out. Us, tell us about Carter. it, Carter. What's going on over there? What's going on over there? So for 30 years, I have been on the sell side with institutional clients. And for the first time, really, we have a, an offering for individuals and or professionals who don't have a relationship with worth charting in a formal way, sell side by side. And so it's an online subscription where we provide our best ideas, our best thoughts, our best judgments. And it's chart-based and charts alone. I'm digging it. I'm so excited. You should be excited. I know Dan's excited. Amanda's excited. Stu's excited. Little Brendan in Montana hunting elk is excited. Everybody's fired up. But that's it for today, folks. That was today's Market Call. Obviously, thanks, Carter, for joining us for the entire now 31 minutes. And thanks to our sponsors, FactSet and Open Exchange. We will, in fact, be back tomorrow, 1 p.m., Hasta la vista, baby. Bye, guys.